You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them out and turn, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, in a moment, we're going to be taking a look at verse 19 through 21. But in case you haven't noticed, we're starting a brand new series together today entitled Commit. We want to talk about the amazing power of commitment in the human life. We want to talk about the nobility of making and honoring and keeping commitments. But I recognize as I say that this morning, we live in a society that says, in effect, hey, listen, keep your options open. Always have sort of an exit strategy. Make sure that you have nothing that ties you down. So we're talking about commitment today. I decided sort of as the backdrop, we would have a singles bar. And i got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous standing in the midst of this. I grew up in a culture that bars were seen as sort of sinful. In fact, when I went to Wheaton College, I actually signed a pledge that said I would never step foot in one of these. If you know today where this singles bar is because you can see it, don't share it. I mean, after all, you're in church. If you don't know where this is, don't ask your neighbor where it is. You're in church. And let me just say a word to those of you who are single here today. Is church a good place to come and to find a mate? Absolutely. Not only do you want to seek after God, but I trust today that maybe in God's providence, you'll find somebody that has the same values and likes and interests of you into the future. In fact, for a moment, just look around if you're single, and if you like to get up and move seats, feel free to do so. Because isn't it true, if you think about it for a moment, bars are a whole lot better at saying to people, listen, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect in life which is too bad, isn't it? Because it ought to be the mantra of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of people think church is for married people and single people ought to show up at bars. That's just simply not true. Jesus, you recognize, was single. He was the one who actually established the church. And we always want to say together is Sunnybrook Community Church, if you are married or you are single, you are welcome here. If you are young or you are old, you are welcome here. If you struggle with difficulties in life or your life is going great, you are welcome here. No matter your color or your creed or your religion, you are welcome here. Because this is a place, Sunnybrook Community Church, we say, listen, everybody's welcome and nobody in this world is perfect. Now, having said that, I want to say to you and admit to you this morning, I'm the last guy to be speaking about who to hook up with at a bar. I couldn't even ask a girl out in a church, let alone in a bar. But I want to use this as sort of a backdrop to talk about this idea in our non-committed world. What would it be like to make a commitment to God? What would it be like to make a commitment to each other? And talk a little bit together about God's commitment to us over the next three weeks together. Now, you got to admit to me as we start this morning that making a commitment is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? Even the most mundane things in life are difficult to commit to. See if you've ever had this conversation with your kids. I often say to my kids, what are you up to this weekend? Would you like to come over to mom and dad's? And here's usually the response, maybe. I'm not exactly sure yet. 
And what's going on right beneath the surface is this. I might get a better offer. And if I'm committed to you, then I won't be free to be able to commit to somebody else. Let's take it a little bit more serious for a moment. What if somebody says, would you like to marry me? And a response is, maybe. It's possible a better deal might come along. Isn't it true with regards to God, we say the very same thing? Would you like to be committed to God? Would you like to grow in your faith? Would you like to tithe? Would you like to be committed to serving the poor? And we say, in effect, listen, maybe, but it's possible some better things might come in my life as well. One of the reasons we struggle with commitment is it's making sort of a projection into the future, isn't it? And we don't know what the future holds. I might marry you, but the reality is, what if I marry you, and then I find out you change or I change, and we're very different people? I might be your best friend, but what if you and I get into a fight, then how in the world are we going to separate from each other? I might want to follow after God, but what if after following after God for a time, I eventually recognize I don't want to follow after God anymore. In fact, I don't even know if I believe in God. Those are the struggles of commitment, aren't they? It's one of the reasons most of the people in this world that have what I would call sort of a commitment phobia are always giving this line, I got to be free. I mean, more than anything else, I've got to be free. Because all of us have a little bit of FOMO, don't we? This fear of missing out. And if I make no commitments in life that I'm free to date who I want, I'm free to spend money on what I want, I'm free to worship and to serve what I want. And whatever you do, commitment-phobic people would say, listen, cling to nothing. There is, however, what I would call a minority opinion in this world. And the minority opinion goes like this, you will never really understand true freedom until you actually commit to something in your life. It was G.K. Chesterton that one time said these words, the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. A man who takes a vow makes a commitment. I'm not going to have roving eyes. I'm not going to date other women. I'm not going to spend money on myself. I'm not somehow going to serve or worship other gods. I'm making a commitment to the one true God. And in that, those kind of commitments, do we actually find true freedom? Jesus actually talked about this idea of a minority opinion in John chapter 8 when he said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying, in effect, listen, when you make a commitment to me, I want you to know in that sort of a commitment when you've been to fill the very purpose for which God created you, then and only then are you going to find freedom and you will not be bound by the sin of this world going from here and there and everywhere and somehow being entangled in the mess of this world. You will know what it is and it will set you free. Now, fascinatingly enough, only you and I as human beings are the only creatures in all of the world that can make a commitment. Think about that for a moment. You and I who have been created in the image of a commitment-making, commitment-keeping God are the only thing in all of creation that has the ability to do so. Human beings have the ability to say, I'll meet with you next Tuesday. Human beings have the ability to say, I will pray for you as you walk through that. 
Human beings have the ability to say, I'll be on your team, I'll walk along your side. No other creature can do that. Dogs, because of their loyalty, would do so if they could, but they can't, and they would die trying, wouldn't they? Cats would do so if they could, and then they'd laugh in your face when they broke their commitment to you, because that's cats. But only human beings, because they've been created in the very image of God, have the ability to be commitment makers in life. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. If you look all throughout Scripture, especially as you look at followers of Jesus Christ, you're going to recognize some of them have made some outrageous commitments, and they've done it with a sense of joy. They've made outrageous commitments to this one true God, and for some reason, they seem to do it with a smile on their face. I want to take a look at one such character in the Old Testament by the name of Elisha. So you recognize as we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, Elijah is getting old. He's about as a prophet of God to make his way off the scene, and now he wants to anoint somebody to be a prophet of God in his place. Recognize prophets were nothing more than spokespersons for God. Today in the New Testament, we have the Word of God that reveals the revelation of God to us. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the Word yet, so God primarily spoke through prophets. So here is Elijah, and he's making his way out into this field, and he is about to anoint someone to take his place. So here's what the Scripture says. So Elijah went out from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now you recognize in this portion of Scripture, don't you, that Elijah is coming and he sees a man plowing his field by the name of Elisha, and God sort of reveals to him this is the man that he wants to follow after him. So Elijah waits until 11 pair of oxen make their way by and eventually comes to the 12th pair of oxen and sure enough, there is Elisha riding on the last pair. He stops him and he takes off his mantle. His mantle in that day was a sign of his calling. It was a sign of his office. It was a sign of his will or God's will for his life. So he's taking off this mantle and he's placing it on Elisha as if to say, you are God's chosen one for the job. Now Elisha has to make a decision. Do I want to follow through in a commitment with this calling of God in my life? Now I don't know about you, but I would have wanted to ask more questions, wouldn't you? I would have wanted to say, hey, what's the pay for this sort of a job? How many weeks of vacation am I going to get? What kind of benefits are there? And if I was Elisha, and I knew he was a prophet, and now Elisha is also going to be a prophet, I'd want to know, is there any profit sharing? All right, yeah, that's a bad joke. I agree. (laughs) But here's what I want you to see about Elisha. This is a man of means. He has 12 pair of oxen, which in his day and age was huge. So this is a man who has options in life. He could go anywhere, do anything that he wants. It was very likely he could have gotten any woman in the city because this was a man of prestige. This was a man of prominence. This was a man of wealth. And he's about to attach himself to a penniless prophet. 
and receive all sorts of derision and ridicule and pain in his life. So why in the world would Elisha make this sort of commitment? Elisha, is it possible there are better options out there for you? Well, follow along with the scripture. Elisha, hearing this, the mantle is placed on him, says, listen, let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? When you hear that, don't you think to yourself, that's a little bit snarky on Elijah's part. I mean, Elisha is asking for something pretty simple. He's saying, listen, I, I'll take this calling on my life. All I want to do is kiss my mother and my father goodbye. But Elisha is very fearful that somehow this young prophet might wake his way back to his parents, and the parents might talk about his inheritance. They might talk about the cottage at the lake that he's going to inherit. They might talk about the keys to the car that they're going to give him, and they're very likely going to somehow talk him out of this. But Elijah does for Elisha what every single one of us should do. He gives him the freedom to make his own decision. As much as he wants to tell him what to do, he gives him the freedom to make his own commitment. People, that's what we want to do at Sunnybrook Community Church. I want every single one of you to come to know Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life. We're going to share with you the message of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But here's the reality. Nobody's going to force you into that sort of decision. For every single one of you, you make a decision for yourself. Is this the commitment that I want to pour my heart and my life into? And then I want you to see this. He kisses his mother and his father goodbye. And then I love what happens next. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughters them. Not a good part of the story for the oxen, but interesting part of the story. He burns the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So he says, in effect, listen, here's what I got to do. I kiss my mom and my dad goodbye. He looks around and he recognizes, I got 12 pair of oxen here. What should I do with them? And he slaughters them. Now, part of this is just simply worship before the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's honoring and worshiping God for the call that God has placed upon his life. But now he calls all of the townspeople together, and he's going to turn this slaughtering into this great party of celebration together. Can you imagine for a moment how many people you could feed with 12 slaughtered oxen, if you ever had a half a side of beef before, you'd recognize this is 48 halves of beef, and all the town comes together, and they celebrate. Because one of the good things that is happening in Elisha's life and should happen in our lives is when we make a commitment, you go public with it, so people are going to hold you accountable, and all of the town knows of the commitment that Elisha made before God. So the scripture says that he slaughters the oxen. And then it says one more thing. Because if it's not enough that he kissed his inheritance goodbye, if it's not enough that he slaughtered the oxen, now the scripture says he burns the plow. What's the significance of that? It's saying in effect, listen, I cannot go back to my old way of life even if I'd want to. I am burning the plow. I am never going back. In a little while, Elijah's going to leave him. Can you imagine what it would be like to have to fill the shoes of Elijah? And he's got to be thinking to himself, what did I commit to? I'd like to go back, but I can't. I've burned the plow. Maybe there is a day coming when 
As the scripture tells us, the boys are going to ridicule him. Bears are going to come and maul him. Maybe there's a time in his life, and his ministry, where he says, listen, did I really hear God wrong? Is, is it possible that I'm not ready for this task? But he recognizes I burned the plow and I can't go back. When the king eventually wants to destroy him, when he comes to that moment in time of famine and he can't simply go on because he's so hungry, when he gets to the time in Scripture where he puts his head in his hands and he weeps over the fact that nobody in all of Israel loves him, he's got to be thinking to himself, I'd love to go back, but I can't. I have burned the plow. I've made that sort of a commitment in my life. Any of you remember the story in history in 1519? It's a story of a man by the name of Hernan Cortez. He actually was coming from Spain and he was making his way into this brave new world. He was setting sail. In fact, he had, the historians tell us, 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and 11 ships. And when they arrived at Veracruz, Mexico, they all got off the ship and they recognized the enemy that was coming at them was much bigger than what they had thought, and every single one of them wanted to retreat. But Cortez called for the order, burn the ships, burn all of them. Because the reality is this, we are not going to retreat. We are either going to be successful or we are going to perish. We are either going to live or we are going to die. But we are not going back. Now that story is often told in sort of motivational speeches, but we're in a church, so I've got to give you the honesty about it. He didn't burn the ships. He actually scuttled them. He sank most of them. And they kept one because they wanted to take some of the things from the New World back to Spain. And it was possible if it didn't work out, they would at least take the kings and the dignitaries back. But I want you to see he was willing to sort of make this commitment that I am going to go forward and we are not going to retreat. But when Cortez made his way into the world, the Aztecs didn't like him, people in that land didn't like him. It wasn't a commitment to a good thing. And isn't it true it's not about the commitment, it's actually what you're committed to? It's possible if you're an NFL player, you're so committed to winning the Super Bowl that you neglect your family, you neglect your children. That's not a good commitment. It's possible that you're a businessman and you so bad want to see your business successful that you neglect your marriage, you neglect your parenting. That's not a good commitment. But when you and I make a commitment to the one and the only God, when you and I made a commitment to a God who is worthy, And you and I make a decision in our minds, we are not going back. We are going to burn the plows. We are going to slaughter the cattle. We are going to burn the ships. We're going to make sure that we never have the ability to go back. That is a good commitment. That is a God-honoring commitment that he calls us to. So can I just ask you this morning, where do you need to have a plow-burning commitment in your life? Maybe for some of you who are single here this morning, you've been walking through the single scene for a long time. I googled singles bar and all sorts of things come at you. It's sort of this hookup lifestyle, if you will. And maybe you're a single person today and you're saying before God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to burn the plow. I'm not going to hook up with person after person. I'm going to make a commitment that sexuality is only going to be lived out in the context of marriage. Maybe you're married here today, but you're not fully committed to your marriage. Maybe today you need to say, listen, in my marriage, 
I want to have plow-burning commitment. When Beth and I first got married, we had one premarital counseling engagement. I would not suggest that for anybody. In one session, we had to talk about parenting and sex and off finances and everything that you talk about in premarital counseling together. But the one question the pastor asked of her, I thought was a fascinating question. He said, if you would wake up tomorrow and you were no longer in love with Jeff, what would you do? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I will honor my commitment. That sounds like a good answer, but to be quite honest with you, I don't like it. Do you? I wanted her to say, have you ever met Jeff? He is so handsome, so wonderful, so great. There's no way I'll ever fall out of love with him. I mean, many guys I could see that with, but not Jeff. She didn't say that. And I remember thinking to myself, this is a good time for me to exercise my spiritual gift of pouting. Any of you have that spiritual gift? Yeah, if I was a superhero, my superpower would be pouting. But I remember thinking as we walked through our marriage, is there a better answer than that? Than to say, in effect, for the past 40 years, I make a commitment to you. Listen, there are days I don't even like myself. I don't know how she does. But we stood before God, and we said, in effect, hey, listen, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, I commit to you. Is it possible some of you, even though you've been married for several years, have never been fully committed? And is it possible that you need to have a plow-burning commitment to your marriage? Maybe for others of you, you need to make a new commitment to your kids. I listened to an article that had this to say one day, the corporation has become in our day what the family used to be 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, to which I say malarkey. That's not true. The corporation that you work for is nothing like the family. If the corporation fires you and you would go to them and say, listen, you can't fire me. I'm part of your family. They'd say, well, yesterday you were a part of our family, but today you're fired. Because here's what makes a family. A family is not a dad or a mom that just biologically made a kid. It's a dad or a mom that stood in front of the children and said, listen, I'm fully committed to you. I want you to know there are going to come times in life when you're going to disappoint me. You're going to hurt me. The reality is you may deny my values. You may even deny my God. But here's what I want you to know. I will always love you. I will always be committed to you. And part of your commitment as parents is to raise and nurture your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's one of the reasons as we start this fall season together, I can't imagine if you have a young person, you wouldn't have them involved in the youth ministry on Wednesday night. If you have a child that you wouldn't have them involved in the kids ministry on Sunday morning, it's some of the best ministry out there. And I really think it's a part of your commitment to your kids. Listen, you ever notice people that made a decision all of their life they were just going to be free. They were commit to nothing. And they come to the end of their lives and they've been free. But there's really nothing to show for it. Isn't it true that what makes you you is your commitments? Your identity is found in what you are committed to. I'm committed to Beth, I'm committed to Abby, Lydia, Ben, Simeon, I'm committed to their spouses, I'm committed to our grandkids, I'm committed to the God call that God has placed upon my life to be the pastor of this church, I'm committed to Jesus, those are my commitments. 
Now, some of you are going to say to me this morning, listen, I, I'm not that good at commitment keeping. I, I get that. That's where the grace of God comes in, doesn't it? Because sometimes I fail in my commitments as well. And one of the things I've noticed about commitments that I make, when I fail in them, more than anything else, you just want to start over, don't you? I made a commitment July 1, as I stepped on the scale, man, I need to lose some weight. July 2, I blew it. July 3, I started again. July 4, it's the fun time, I blew it again. I started July 5. In other words, here's what I'd say to you. Every time you blow a commitment at 10 o'clock at night, start it again at 10.01. Make a commitment to recognize the grace of God that comes into your life to forgive and give you the power to start all over again. Because this is a God who was so committed to you, so loved you, that he actually made his way to the cross of Calvary to redeem you. In fact, if you were the only person in the world, he still would have gone to the cross of Calvary for you. And at some time, you got to recognize this is a commitment-making, a commitment-keeping God. And more than anything else, I want to surrender. I want to commit my heart to him. So today, maybe instead as we walk through this series together of casual Christianity, you and I would make a decision, hey, listen, I'm going to kiss my inheritance goodbye. I'm going to burn the ships. I'm going to kill the oxen. I'm going to burn the plow. I'm going to make a decision that my heart is going to be fully yielded to the God who is worthy, and I am going to follow him with everything that I possibly can. As we walk through this series, all I'm asking is that you'd be open to what the Spirit of God says in your heart. So join us for the next three weeks as we talk together about this important topic of commit. Would you pray with me? Father, we're just so grateful that you are a commitment-making, a commitment-keeping God, because, Father, we need it. We recognize that in the commitments of our lives, every single one of us has blown it. So, Father, we need your forgiveness, we need your grace, we need your mercy. But, Father, today, could we draw a line in the sand? Could we say no to the things of this world? Could we burn the ships? Could we make a decision? We're going to slaughter the oxen and we are going to follow after you. So, Father, by your Spirit, you know where we're falling short. Could you speak and minister to each of us? God, in more deeper, devoted ways, could we be committed to you, I pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.